Welcome to Coffee and Capital, brought to you today by Two Smith IQ and Two Smith Capital. Now here's your host, Two Smith CEO Jeremy Smith. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Episode seven: Purchasing non-bank real estate. Purchasing non-bank real estate is kind of an exciting thing. Specifically, we're going to talk about purchasing commercial non-bank real estate. What is commercial non-bank real estate? Commercial non-bank real estate are untraditional property types that banks actually would not or feel uncomfortable in financing. These are non-owned and occupied commercial, mixed-use, multifamily, and investment properties. Non-bank commercial real estate also is short-term rentals, townhouses, single families, mixed use truck, but non-bank commercial real estate is simply investor-driven real estate. Moving forward in this episode, we're going to cover what documentation is needed, the eligible real estate property types, what is the actual debt service it takes to actually carry a mortgage with those property types, which property types there are that have current rent rolls or what you call income in income producing properties. We're also going to address what we call a loan to value or the leverage that the bank is willing to finance. We're going to go into detail about the terms. Then I'm going to offer some type of down payment strategy assistance where you have the option of using your own cash or borrowed cash to make sure the leverage is right. So let's jump into it. Documentation needed. Most typical non-bank real estate commercial purchases, they're usually set up for what we call non-owner occupied. Non-owner occupied commercial real estate means that you own it as an investment. Your business is not there. You're not residing in it. You don't occupy 51% or more percent of the actual square footage of the real estate. You're simply a passive investor looking for a return. So when we say non-owner occupied, non-bank commercial real estate, we're talking about office complexes. We're talking about multifamily properties. We're talking about retail. We're talking about retail mixed use. And we're talking about commercial in general. So documentation is needed. Usually we're looking at three years of historical financial data, such as profit and loss statements, balance sheets, as well as tax returns on the property, title information, appraisal documents. That's just the the knit and grit of these. So this documentation is important because it tells us is the property is the property environmental sound is the property actually occupied at a certain level to give a lender comfort and stability and then does the property actually make money does it make sense so those another reason why purchasing non-bank commercial real estate would actually work The real estate properties that are the most common are mixed-use commercial and multifamilies. 
So let's talk about mixed-use commercial. Mixed-use commercial would be apartments on the top, some type of retail or office on the bottom. What that means is that usually a real estate investor would have a commercial address within a hyper-proximity of a city, and on the top would be apartments on individual leases and contracts, and on the bottom would be pretty much office space, rental for corporations, companies, or or smaller to mid-sized big spot retails. They usually have a commercial lease. It's usually broken up into a, a cost per square footage or some type of, of negotiated set rent. Some of these use a triple square net or gross. And then the top ones are the apartments. They usually a year-to-year and not the year is usually grandfathered in until market rate is adjusted. So that's mixed-use retail. Multifamily is usually more than 5, maybe 20, sometimes 100-plus units. It's usually a standing structure where there are apartments inside of them. They usually are managed by a property manager. The apartments are usually priced per square foot, a market rate for rental stuff, and they usually are accompanied by utilities, up. They usually have like some type of added perk to get you inside of it. So the multifamily business model is that there's usually three years of historical taxes. There's usually a rent roll. It's what you call a trailing 12 or a T12. It's an income statement. It usually shows the top line gross cash flow. It's expenses such as utilities, rent, property management, improvements to the building, and then you have net adjusted ROI or return on investment. We call that an cap rate. So when you purchase these, you look for what we call a capitalization rate. A capitalization rate tends to be what this property is actually going to return me in reference to my purchase price or what we're doing past the mortgage. So then that leads me into what we call a DS. CR or debt service or debt service coverage ratio. It's a pretty common term in this in the debt coverage or debt service coverage ratio would be a one to one. So if you were to finance non-bank commercial real estate, the payment would be X amount over X amount of months. Then we will look at how much income or rent is being produced into it. We take that number and we divide to divide it by the potential mortgage, and that's going to give us a ratio. So your ratio of your mortgage to your income produce a debt coverage ratio. Most lenders like to see more than a one-to-one, maybe like a one-two-five. So what that means is that for every dollar coming in, you have an additional quarter of profit to service new and additional debt. So... This is very common, and when you purchase the non-bank real estate, they like to do what you call a non-recourse structure. Non-recourse structures in purchasing non-bank commercial real estate, such as multifamilies or mixed-use retail, that means simply that the, the recourse or responsibility has to do with the property. Can the property's financial statements and financial progress service itself? That means that you're the, you're the personal owner or the investor or the borrower or the mortgagee. Your financial history or your financial wherewithal 
should be secondary, but it shouldn't have to do with being able to afford this property or this commercial structure. So I want to touch on loan to values. So most non-bank purchases that are in commercial, the lender comes up what we call a loan to value. A loan to value is the ratio that the non-bank or lending structure would agree to finance. And then the difference of you're responsible at closing plus closing costs. That's a pretty good example. You buy the building for a million dollars. The lender says, I'll give you a 70% loan to value. They're only going to finance 700000 So you're responsible for bringing 300000 plus closing costs to it. So then your mortgage would be based on 700000 That 700000 would be affordable based upon how many units or how much rent is coming to it. Let's say this 700000 the terms were 30 years, 25 years, 7 to 9%, 300000 closing at a rate at like 8%. So with that, you know that based on the loan to value, the rate, the down payment, everything else, it's going to be pretty much around 300000 plus closing costs. For argument's sake, your mortgage might be fourteen grand a month. So fourteen grand a month, you have it. We're looking to see you at least have sixteen grand a month coming in as far as the income. So if you don't have sixteen grand a month, you want to look at the occupancy level. What's going on with the occupancy level? What can you do to get that up there? So that's an example of how lenders will look at a loan to value in terms of the terms needed to finance it. So I want to go back and, and touch back on the property type that's really, really hot on commercial non-bank real estate, short-term rentals or investment properties. Post-COVID, everyone pretty much wants to be a real estate investor. They want to go into Miami, New York, Nashville, Vegas, Tahoe, all these cool destination places, and they just want to buy a house, and they want to put it up there, and they want to say, hey, Airbnb, my property. Verbo, my property. This is what I think I can get. All that's great, and I and I personally encourage that. I think it's going to be awesome. But if you want to buy this non-bank commercial real estate, when I say non-bank, I'm talking about these untraditional property types such as mixed-use retail, multifamily, non-owner-occupied commercial, and short-term rentals or single-family homes. You got to understand what is your debt coverage, in particular with single-family homes. You're going to need the rent roll, 12 months of bank statements, proof you have a property manager in, 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 in place, proof that you have verbal or Airbnb rent, what's the market per rent per month per day that you're getting, so let's go back to the point where there's like all these cool hot vacation spots you want to go to. Simply get the property, find the property. Once you acquire the property, get a mortgage predicament on how much you think the actual monthly payment is going to be. See what the market is actually going to give you. Good reference points. AirDNA.co. AirDNA.co. Then you also want to look at verbal data. You want to figure out what's your average Airbnb cost per day. Then you want to go and get that simulated by a property manager on a proposal. 
take your proposal, look at your anticipated mortgage, whether it's interest only or principal interest, and then you want to say, okay, can I really make profit? What's my ratio? What's my leverage? Is it appropriate to buy? Then once you have all those, you know how to purchase non-bank real estate. So going back to multifamilies, look at your T12. Look at the income statement. Look at your occupancy rate. Say, all right, I'm going to buy this. It's 90% occupied. It's a million dollars. The bank's going to do $700,000. i am going to bring $300,000 plus the close on $700,000, easily generating fourteen dollars to $17,000 a month. My mortgage is maybe twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a month. Yeah, the property makes sense. Definitely want to do it. So in general speaking, if you're going to purchase non-owner-occupied commercial, multifamily, short-term rentals or STRs in single families, townhouses or condos, or you're going to do mixed-use retail. You're always going to need proof of the rent roll, trailing 12 income statements broken down by month. You're going to need an application, a 1003 real estate application. You're still going to need 12 months of bank activity to show that there's cash flow. Ideally, in the commercial the commercial spaces, if it's commercial use, office retail, you want a current appraisal, you want environmentals, you actually want a scope of what the property's done. And then if you have property managers like Airbnb, Verbo, or other ones, get the 1099 statement. What did they give you on that particular real estate structure in the current taxable year? It's very important. So let's segue back into down payment assistance. This is actually really fun. You don't really have to use your own money. I know it's crazy. So if you're a business and you're purchasing non-bank real estate, leverage the SBA. The SBA actually has a 7A Express program where you can put working capital back into your business for whatever needs you might want. So you can actually purchase the mixed-use retail or the commercial non-archified spot, do a bank statement loan where we get a 1003 application, 12-month bank statements, profit loss statements, P&Ls, and then appraisals of the property. Use that structure, and then your 20 or 30% down that you have your down payment Leverage the SBA 7A Express from one fifty to three hundred fifty thousand uncollateralized, no prepayment penalty, ten year debt notes at eight percent. You can simply model your mortgage payment, the rent coming in, and your secondary position, which is actually the SBA payment. If you have adjustable positive profit, you shouldn't use your own money. Or the second way of down payment assistance. You ever think about a personal loan? SoFi has a good product. Goldman Sachs Marcus has a great product. Lightspeed has a great product. We're talking five to seven year, no prepayment penalty, 6% in the marketplace. We use the down payment. And then now you're simply modeling this income producing property over the mortgage. It adjusted to the personal loan. And then what you do is you hold the property, let it cash flow, year two, year three, refinance it at current market rates, and then take out the secondary leverage. Pay off the SBA loan. Pay off the personal loan. Do those. You'll have better adjusted profit. 
you can actually get a tax break where you can write off the interest expense from the personal loan or the SBA loan, and then you have more just for your profit. But the goal of all this is that you didn't really have to come out of your own bank account. You simply leverage a good FICO score of 700 plus or better, good payment history, good trade line histories, and your ability to borrow based upon 1040 global cash flow. That's right. Going back to my last point in previous episodes, I talked about you just recycled your profit. Absolutely. So the last part that we need to address is how to title commercial real estate. This is a big, big, important topic to cover. How to title the commercial real estate. When you acquire and buy commercial real estate, you want to title it. The most common thing is to set up an LLC, use the street address as the actual single member entity LLC. Or you can title it in what we call a non-public REIT or a non-public real estate investment trust. The reason you want to title it in an LLC or a non-public REIT is because you want it in a recourse structure, which makes it easier to refinance and pull the equity out. The common way to do it is use a street address. The LLC, you can match up the payments to the rent roll. You can match up the payments to the bank account. You can match up the sub-LLCs that can be owned by a C-Corp, which is a parent to a child structure from entities owning other entities. You want to be able to look at this from a corporation managing other corporations. Also, for exposure or protection, you might think about titling this into a trust. Sometimes trust may not be the best proper way to do it, but it'll protect you like the LLC. However, using the trust becomes a little tricky. If you use the trust, you have to make sure you're following bank and non-bank covenants to refinance out of trust in the event of a lawsuit for um, breach of contract, payment default, or bankruptcy, or any structure like that. So when you acquire the real estate, you simply want to have an LLC. The easiest thing is to use the street address. The second thing is to do make the LLC owned by a parent company, which is a C-Corp, not an S-Corp, because you don't want it to flow back to you. You want to have a corporate entity owning another corporate entity. As you grow a portfolio, you want to basically sell that corporate entity into a non-public REIT, a real estate investment trust structure, which is usually a C-Corp. It needs to own every single property type made into an LLC that particularly should be the street address or some proper proximity as the identifier when you're looking at your properties. Oh, I own 1637 Summer. I own 4354 Jupiter. Whatever it might be, you want to be able to title in a business, acting like a business, managed by a business. If you like what you're hearing more, check out the next episode, coffeeandcapitaltalk.com. It's Jeremy Smith. Thanks.